All right, let's grab our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 27 together. You can mark that. And we're getting sidetracked already this morning. I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians real quick. A verse just popped in my head, and I'm like, is that you, Lord? Maybe not. Maybe it is. It's the Word of God, which is always good, regardless, right? Isn't the Word good? What have you guys been studying lately? Shout out. What books have you guys been studying on, on your own? Numbers? Oh, love you. Second Chronicles. What else you guys been studying? Mark, Ezekiel, Acts, Nehemiah. Anybody studying Hezekiah right now? It's not a book in the Bible. <laughs> gotcha. The pastor joke, that's right. <laughs> oh, we're going to 1 Corinthians. I think it's... Uh, Verse 18, okay, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, okay, uh, Pauline Corpus, I love the epistles of Paul, but we're going to be talking about Jesus being crucified this morning, and I want to lay out for us, before we jump into study this morning, just the importance of the cross, okay, there's a lot of preaching going on today that they don't talk about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And without it, there is no hope for us as believers. I love verse 18. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. For an unbeliever, they don't understand the cross. Okay, that's just a foolish thing to them. But what does it tell us for who believe? But those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you guys understand how important it is that we are talking and preaching the cross? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is so important that you and I as believers are doing this because without, a, without the preaching, who's, who, who's going to hear? There is no hearing unless we're out preaching. And we're not ashamed of the gospel, are we, guys? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for it is the power of God. It is the gospel message, guys. The gospel, okay? That is the power of God unto salvation. So I encourage you guys, share. Well, how do I share the gospel? We'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15, a few chapters over. Take out your smartphone, open up your Bible app, and then start reading 1 Corinthians 15 to somebody, and that will declare the gospel to them. And I'd like to share with you guys real quick uh, what it says here, because I don't know everybody here this morning. And one of the things, I'm, I'm, sure we, I'm going to give you a little glimpse into the, the head, the mind of a pastor, okay? Church is for believers. Do you guys know that? If you're a non-believer and you're seeking here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad. We're all glad that you're here to hear the word of God. But one of the things as a pastor is so hard because sometimes when you're teaching a group of people, you don't know if everybody is in the faith, if everyone has bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and has been born again or not. And as a pastor, that's the only thing you really care about. As a believer, that's the only thing you care about because we're on mission. And we know God's mission is to save people. Do you know that? That's what he's all about. And the gospel is what it's all about. Because a lot of us, we think, oh, if we're just good or spiritual enough, that's all that matters. As long as my life is getting better and maybe I'm adding good things to my life, then that's good and that's why church is good. That's not the point at all. The point is the gospel and it's coming into a relationship with your creator, with God Almighty. Well, how does that happen? Well, let's take a look at what Paul writes here in Corinthians 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, 
I declare to you the gospel, the good news, this message, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. That's our standing. It is in the gospel. And then look verse uh, 2. He says, by which you also are saved. It's through the gospel you're saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died according to the scriptures. He died for our sins according to what? What the scriptures had already declared. It wasn't just an afterthought. Oh, man messed up. What am I going to do to save my creation? No, God had a plan all along. He knew what he was going to do. Before the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. So according to the scriptures, God becomes man and he comes to die that we may be saved. And then check out verse 3, or sorry, verse 4, and that he was buried. So he dies. The second part, he's buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by uh, Cephas, which is Peter, then the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. So it's not just a few odd people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. No, he overcame sin, death, hell. He really did rise from the dead. And that's our hope. We will, too, rise from the dead because of what Jesus has done. Okay, And then it says, of whom... Uh, a greater part remain in our present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was a man who hated Christians. He was having them put in prison and killed because they followed this man, Jesus. But Jesus, as you guys know, you can read it, Acts chapter 9, shows up and Paul radically gets saved. And now he's a preacher of the gospel. And I want you guys to check out uh, verse 10 with me. It says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. With me. We are saved by grace. And I want, my, my desire as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a son of God, I want to see all people come into his family to be saved by the grace of God. It's not of works. It is a gift that is given to us. And I want you guys to look. Yesterday we looked at verse 10 here in our men's uh, prayer time together. Okay, And we, we were looking at some of the Greek words. And this word here at the end of verse 10, it says, for the grace of God was with me. The word there is S-Y-N, with. Okay, A lot of times we think, well, the grace of God is in me or the grace of God is upon me. No, this is talking about a partnership. We as believers, we get to come alongside the grace of God is at work. And we get to work with the grace of God. And some of us think that, hey, we don't have to do anything but believe. No, Peter, when he wrote his epistle, at the end of it, he encouraged the body of Christ to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's actually a working together with the grace of God. And as we get into his word, guys, this is a place where we get to learn and we do get to grow and understand. But there's a working together with him. It's not just sitting here this morning, just hearing the word. No, we need to take the word, and then what are we going to do with it? 
How are we going to be doers of it? How are we going to apply what God is teaching us? When we talk about things of the gospel, the kingdom of God, am I even a part of the kingdom of God? Have I been born again, as John chapter 3 says? Am I actually in a relationship with God? This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that you know him, the one and true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. You have to know God. I can't make you know God. But the scriptures can bring you to a place of believing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if we're saved by faith, we take this in. You're either going to believe it or you're going to reject it. And let me tell you what, where we're going this morning in Matthew 27, if you're in Christ, you're going to be so encouraged. Okay? If you're not in Christ, you're going to think that this morning's message is foolishness. Why did this man come? Why, why did he die on the cross? That was just vain. That was pointless. Who cares? Well, let me tell you what. I hope that you are in Christ and you put your faith in him. Because this is it, guys. What we're going through this morning, without the cross, there is no hope for us. So I hope you guys, as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for almost two years now, this is all what it comes to. This is what it's culminating to, is this. So Father, we do recognize that your word is good. God, it is able to make us wise for salvation. God, and I know this is not any man's opinion. This is your word. You, you revealed it to us, God. You proved it. Lord, so much of it is prophetic, and we know you're the only one who can foretell the future so we can trust when we even consider the good news god the gospel the cross you dining upon it you being buried and rising again from the dead you spoke all those things god you even told us when it was going to happen lord it wasn't by chance you were on a mission father you completed it and you're still on a mission because you want people to come into a, a relationship to be forgiven of their sins so they can finally be a part of your family. God, and that has been a gift, the greatest gift that has ever been given. Let us not take it for granted. Let those who have not received yet receive well. We pray in your name. Amen? Amen. I think it's so cool when we consider Jesus first. He came and he left it all, didn't he? He gave all of himself when he came. And then he gave it all. He paid it all. You know, and now he's in a place where he offers it all. He's a good God, guys. So we're going to consider Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to pick it up this morning in verse 27 together. But before we get there, I want to consider with you guys love for a second. How many of you guys would uh, agree with me that love can get messy at times? Look. Oh, good, I'm not the only one. Yes! So uh, I like Charles Spurgeon a lot. And he said this. He says, leave out the cross... And you have killed the religion of Jesus. Atonement by the blood of Jesus is not an arm of Christian truth, but it's the heart of it. That's what it's about, guys. So a tree, we have a tree that we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the tree of good and of evil. Okay, it introduced the curse into the world. It was a God-ordained tree. And there, um, we have a cross. Another tree is a mean to remove the curse. You guys, we see 953 chapters after Genesis chapter 3, the tree that we see there. We find another tree in which we may finally find rest in its shade. 
its wondrous branches stretches far wide beyond and is still going out to gather fruit of eternal reconciliation to God the Father. So I like to remember that God made a grace garden with one law tree and not a law garden with one grace tree. Why would God ever ever put that tree in the garden? What was he thinking? He knew man would rebel, would disobey his word, would become prideful and want to be like him. Why would he even allow? Love demands a choice, doesn't it? There has to be a choice, guys. And without choice, it's not love. Without choice, God is not love. Choice has to be there. And he made the garden awesome. All of the garden, paradise, was given to man. But just don't do this one thing. Just one thing I'm asking. But isn't that what we do? We've all sinned, haven't we? We've all rebelled. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior. I want to share with you guys, our kids, um, they brought this up to me a couple weeks ago. Brian was teaching this down, down in kids' church. The only animal upon the planet that has a cross upon it is the donkey. Talk about a what? You guys can flip back a few chapters. I think Pastor David taught chapter 21, the triumphal entry. Okay? And I think about that. If you go back there and you read in Matthew 21, they were laying down palm branches, a picture of peace, right? And the, the Jewish people were crying out that day to Jesus saying, save now, right? Hosanna, son of David, save us. We want peace. We've been waiting for the king to come. The king who will bring peace. We want this peace. And he came lowly riding on a what that day? A donkey. Literally, Jesus is sitting on a cross riding in during the triumphal entry. I think that's pretty darn cool, isn't it? So think about that from God's vantage point for a second with me. Here's God looking down upon his son who's on a cross, and then there's peace, branches all over the place. And guys, without the cross, without the Son of God upon it, there is no peace for mankind. But Jesus came to give us his peace. Not as the world gives, but his peace. And that is what man longs for more than anything. I just want world peace. That's what we want. But without Christ, without the cross, there is no peace. So... I had to share that with you guys. I'm just like, that is just the coolest thing ever. Mind blown. Okay. So moving on to Matthew chapter 27. Let's take a look at verse 27 together. We're going to look at the preaching pavement here. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns... They put it on his head in a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and repented of their sins and confessed him as Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? What did they do? They mocked him. Put your finger there and turn to Philippians real quick. Man, I read that and I think of Philippians chapter 2. I think it's verse 10, if I'm correct. Let's turn there quick. Flip to Philippians. It's in the new part. All 
right, let's take a look. We'll start in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, and there's a big therefore. If you don't know what is therefore, you should read chapters 1 and chapter 2 up to this point when you get home. But God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Not to mock, but every knee should bow, even those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is it not right for his creation to bow the knee to him? Not to bow and to mock, to crucify Shame on us. That wasn't us. That was those foolish Jews back then. No, guys. It's all of us. We have sinned against God. We have rebelled. We have suppressed the truth, guys. He was on the cross for your sin. The Jews didn't put him there. As we considered last week, the Roman government didn't put him there. Pilate didn't put him there. Okay, He went because of us. Because he loves us. That's the reason he went and he hung upon the tree. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 27. They bowed their knees just to mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then verse 3, they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and they put his clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. So this is where it all got messy. Okay, This is the bloody pavement in the Passion of the Christ where Jesus is whipped almost to death. Okay, 40 stripes minus one. Most people died by that alone. But yet he was alive. He had to go to the cross. You see, the Roman ritual of Condemnation was like this. The judge would say, Ilum ducai crucem placet. This man should take his cross. That's what it means. And then he would turn to a guard and it was said, I miles expedia crucem. Go soldier, prepare the cross. So while the cross was being prepared, Jesus was in the hands of the soldiers. And we're told here it was at the praetorium, the governor's headquarters in the courtyard. That's the northwest corner of the Temple Mount, the Tower of Antonia. It's the east side of the city. They discovered excavations there. And guess what? There was a huge, large pavement area. Okay, so this is probably where this was going down. We're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and he sat him down in the judgment seat in the place that was called the pavement, which in Hebrew is Gabbatha. So when you visit, you can actually see a game that's chipped into the paving stones there. It's, they, they call it, or they play the comic king. That's what it's called. It's a game of cat and mouse. So if you remember... And he already went through a scourging before this horseplay had begun to him. So to them, Jesus was only another man on the, uh, to go to the cross. Okay? They carried on their barrack room rigmarole here of royalty and worship. 
Not with malice. I want you guys to catch that. It's not with malice. This was just coarse jest by these guys. Not, the malice is going to come later, okay? And it's going to be from his own. Now, the crown, okay? It, it preaches a message, okay? So here stands Jesus wearing the consequences of Adam's sin, okay? Um, there we go. Um, Jesus... He was wearing upon his head the consequences of man's sin. You guys understand that? The curse came. Thorns came as a result of that. Adam's fall brought forth the thorns. So all in a day's work for the soldiers here, but not every day did they have one who claimed to be the king. So they relieve some boredom here, a few minutes of entertainment at Jesus' expense. Sin should have been slapped. Covetousness should have been crucified. Wickedness should have been whipped. Bad decisions should have been beat. Shortcomings should have been scourged. Not Jesus. It's not fair. It's not right. What had he ever done? And they're told here that he struck him on the head. Okay? Most likely to drive the sharp thorns into his brow. Okay? So here are some thorns from Israel. These are ones that grow right there. Struck is in the imperfect tense, if you look at it in the original language, indicating they repeatedly struck his head over and over again with this crown of thorns upon him. So this affected me more than anything else as I considered this passage of Scripture this week. Over and over again, every sin was like another slap. He kept taking it, taking it. So the crown of thorns, a cruel character of the wreath in which the emperor would wear. Mockery, guys. So the physical sufferings of Christ have always been and will remain a window through which we see the heart of God. Do you guys know how much God loves you? Do you get that? You can't look to the cross and say, no, he didn't love me. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. He demonstrated, he showed it. So our Lord quietly suffered and never fought back. A lesson Matthew's readers would need to learn as they faced official persecution. Okay. Believers in the early church were also persecuted mocked, many crucified. The Caesars to come were nut jobs. They hated Christians. They were. Okay? Literally, Nero put Christians upon stakes in his garden. and He would ride around in his chariot naked, crying out, light of the world, because that's what we are as Christians, right? They would light them on fire in his garden. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We spoke of this last week. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. There are many being persecuted all over the place. This is going on. But let me tell you what. Through it, people are still getting saved. So I find encouragement as we study the Scriptures. So this pavement, guys, it's still 
preaches. It's powerful, somber, it's sobering. It's an overwhelming spot as we consider the scriptures here. And what strikes you about it? You know, the cost, the value of it all. Guys, it's the messy side of God's love. All that he went through there, being beaten within an inch of his life, being mocked the way he was. Let's look on to verse 32 here. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled, he was compelled to bear the cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. In my clothing, they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. That's a pretty specific prophecy, huh? That's exactly what's going on. This isn't by chance, guys. God knew exactly what was going to go down this day. We need to understand that according to law, the guilty victim had to carry his cross, at least the cross beam of the cross to the place of execution. And Jesus was no exception here. They left Pilate's hall bearing his cross where we have, the, he has to walk down the Via Della Rosa, which means the road of sorrows. Christendom saw a prophetic fulfillment in this scene, a parallel between Isaac's bearing of the wood to his own sacrifice on Mount Moriah, same mountain which Jesus was crucified all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, foreshadowing verse 6 there it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And so Jesus is off to Jerusalem's killing fields here. Simon of Cyrene, Cyrenica is in eastern Libya today near uh, Benghazi. So this is probably where he was from. Uh, Simon came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This is, you guys remember, we need to get him crucified now before Passover begins. Okay, So it was all about their celebration. We're going to slaughter tons and tons of lambs so our sins can be forgiven. And they're missing the Lamb of God himself who takes away the sins of the world. Anyways, so it ended up meeting the Passover lamb. I think it's so cool. He came for Passover, but this man, just random guy, gets to meet the Passover lamb himself. That's pretty cool. So the next time your plans are interrupted and you have to carry another's cross, remember what Simon did for Jesus and what Jesus did for Simon. In Luke chapter 23, verse 26, it says, He bears it after Jesus. Speaking of the cross, so that either can mean Jesus took the front and Simon carried the rear, the lighter side, or that Jesus took it from the Nada fortress to the Damascus gate, which he did, and then Simon just carried it, or the, carried it from the gate then to Calvary there. So look at verse 34. We're told that this wine was given to him that was mingled with gall. In Mark's account, he says it was myrrh. Okay? 
So it's a resin, it's a powder that was used. And it was a dr- the drug with myrrh in accordance with the Jewish customs based from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 6. Uh, this was given to dull the senses. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those of a bitter heart. So an acceptable anesthetic to deaden the physical pain and the deep emotions uh, that they were going through. The Babylonian Talmud tells us that respected women actually appointed themselves to provide condemned victims with a narcotic, pain-reducing drink before execution. But Jesus refused it. Did you guys catch that? Okay. He would not have his senses dulled. Okay. He, w- he wanted the full possession of his faculties in doing the will of his Father. He would accomplish the work of redemption He would enter fully into his sufferings on our behalf. He wasn't going to take any shortcomings, okay, shortcuts. And he refused the cup of sympathy so he might better drink the cup of iniquity. So myrrh was received at his birth. You guys remember that? Okay, but it was denied at his death. Simply pointed to his death. And then in verse 35, then they crucified him. Crucifixion was barbaric, okay? One of the most barbaric forms of execution ever invented, and it was invented by the Persians. They believed that the earth was sacred, okay? Haraza Mazda, the earth god, right? Um, so they felt that deaths, they should not contaminate the earth. So that's why they would crucify them up off the earth, be lifted up, thus hung them above the earth. And Ahura Mazda means Lord or wisdom. Uh, But I want you guys to remember later on, okay, after Jesus has been risen from the dead, you guys remember that Jesus was showing his scars to the people? Look, touch, feel. (laughs) It's me. I really was crucified. And I have scars as a result of it. He didn't pretend that his holes, scars, wounds weren't there the nails were there and admitting it doesn't take scars away scars remain so what or who has wounded you what scars do you bear in your body your mind your soul know that god will release the greatest power in your life from where the nails were just like when he showed his scars. And that takes faith. It takes faith to believe that the same place where the nails were is the same place the healing is. That takes faith. So your scars happened and they hurt, but don't stay wounded. We don't have to. He's our healer, guys. So when there is healing in his hands, receive it, guys. And there's so much hurt and so many scars just simply because of unforgiveness. Man, if Christ has forgiven you, if you have been forgiven by Christ, are we not told that we are to do the same to others? And how many of our wounds would be healed if we would just do what God has asked us to do? Well, I don't know if I can forgive What has God forgiven you of? Way more than anything anyone has ever done to you. 
That is a fact. That is truth. So how should we not allow God to bring healing, guys? Don't stay wounded. Why isn't there revival? Why isn't the church doing more? There's a lot of Christians just walking around wounded, having a pity party. This was done to me. I can't get over it. I need counseling. Let me tell you what, guys. Get with Jesus. Have a real meeting with him. Pour your heart before him. That one meeting with God is way better than a thousand meetings with a counselor. God's able to do more when you meet with him than what this world can give to us, guys. That is the truth. Get with God. Let's go on to verse 37. I call this God's tract. Look at it. They put, and they put up over his head an accusation written there, literally a sign that was put above Jesus. Okay, you guys see it there on the little cross, a little sign up there. Okay, it said, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then two robbers, they were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. So this statement here in verse 37, the king of the Jews, okay, it was written there in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, all the languages of the day. So anyone who was there would have saw what he was supposedly guilty of. And I love it, okay? You read his place card as truth. God was speaking truth through these unbelievers. Isn't that pretty cool? Truth was still being declared there that day. So the Jews repeatedly asked Pilate to change the sign. You can see that in John's account in chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. And finally, I love it, Pilate finally stands up and says, nope, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, it's not going to say something else. They asked, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said he was, and then Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Period. That's what's going to be, that's what he's guilty of. Being the king. Oh, the eternal truth, Mr. Pilate. For he is king. So during Jesus' infancy, the Magi came from the east, heralding him as king. Now his royal title is fixed on his cross. So some call this God's first tract. And one day when he returns, it will be emblemized on his robe and on his thigh. You guys remember what we're told is it's going to be written there? King of kings and Lord of lords. He is going to come back, guys. The Bible speaks more of his second coming than it does his first. 310 specific prophecies fulfilled in Christ's first coming. 
And there is eight times that amount in the scriptures speak of his return. And today in which we live, it is spoken about in the Bible more than any other time in history. Get ready. He came the first time just like he said. He's going to come again. And I'm looking forward to that, guys. So, a king. First in his crib, second on his cross, and then thirdly on the day of his coordination. So, Thomas Carlyle called ridicule, if you look at verse 39, the language of the devil. And here, it was true. Murder of the tongue is the weapon of mass destruction, okay? causing emotional bloodshed, physiological warfare that only God's grace can heal. And then verse 40 just... This is ridiculous. Come down from the cross. Really? (laughs) How about come up from the grave in three days? You want a sign? That's what I'm going to do. You're going to kill me, and I'm going to overcome sin, hell, and death. I'm going to come back from the dead. That's what they should have been looking for. That's the sign that Jesus said he would give. And then save yourself. Did you guys catch that there? Save yourself. Be careful of the world's whispers. The devil told Jesus, serve yourself. You guys remember that like a year and a half ago back in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, right? And then Peter said, pity yourself in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. His unsaved relatives said, show yourself. In John 7, 4, the world said, defend yourself. But Jesus was silent as we saw in verse 14 here. The world said, pamper yourself. But Jesus refused the drug in verse 34. Now the crowd at Calvary said, save yourself. But Jesus remained on the cross and finished the work the Father gave him to do in verse 42. So Jesus was deaf to all those appeals and he gave himself. Listen to what God says to you guys. The world says a whole lot. They're whispering in our ear every day. He is our king. We give all of ourselves to him. So sitting as a baby, he gave himself. Continuing with a perfect life, he gave himself. Culminating on the cross, he gave himself. Today, as our mediator and intercessor, he gives himself. Verse 42, he saved others and himself he could not save. It is precisely because he did not save himself that he's able to save. Does that make sense? So it is possible that this sarcastic he saved others may have encouraged one of the thieves to believe. Wow. This is the Savior. Read at the end of the Gospel of John. You'll see that account there. So one last challenge. Come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Just give me a sign and then I'll believe. One sign I'll give to you, Jesus said. 
As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the grave. And he rose from the dead three days later. That is the sign. And as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 there, man, he was appearing to everybody 40 days after the resurrection. People were, they couldn't deny it. Even Paul said, hey, there was over 500 at one time, and some of them are actually still alive. Eyewitness accounts. This wasn't just a made-up story, some make-believe, some hopeful thinking. No, it's sure. It happened. General Booth said long ago, it's because Jesus did not come down from the cross that we believe in him. So while man was doing his worst, God was doing his best. First, see Jesus as sufferer. Okay? Observe his great love for you. He haven't taken that time. Get down on your knees before him and recognize what he has done for you. Secondly, guys, we see Jesus is sovereign. Behold the king, his demands. And what are they? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. There is a turning to God that must happen. If you are not a child of God, the Bible says that you are a child of disobedience. Very clear. One of my pet peeves as a pastor is just when people like, hey, chill out, dude. Stop telling me that Jesus is the only way, that God loves me and he loved this world, that he gave his son to die. Just stop talking to me about that. We're all God's children. You need to chill out. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You are not a child of God until you are born again of the Spirit of God, John chapter 3. And you're not born again until you repent and you put your faith, you give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. You need to believe the gospel. That's how you're saved. It's not by good works, being a part of this church or this denomination. It is by repenting, turning to God, and giving your life to him, believing him. That has to happen. And behold the king. Kingship has been lost. The Bible's all about the kingdom of God, isn't it? I read the New Testament, man, we're going to be praying the kingdom of God. Come, your will be done, right? Jesus is the king. And if you are not a follower of King Jesus, you are a follower of a bad king. You are a child of Satan. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to open your eyes because we're told in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the God of this age, Satan himself, is blind. If you don't believe the, Bible or the gospel, it's because Satan has literally blinded you to the gospel. At least you should come to the knowledge of salvation, of who Jesus is. Come to the light. You are in the dark right now. You can't see. That's why you must repent, turn to, and give your allegiance to Jesus. And isn't that rightfully so? But that's kind of hard. So I'm growing up in this Western culture, and we're all our own kings, our own gods. We're calling the shots. It's all about me and how great I am. I've been told that since I was a kid. I'm just the greatest thing ever, and I can do whatever I want. If I try hard enough, I can do it, and I can have my own ways. And we're the most blessed people of all time. We're prosperous. We can have the whole world if we want it. And it doesn't matter what you think, because my opinion is the only one that matters. And truth doesn't really matter because everybody's truth, man. It's just as long as you believe what you believe, you're all good to go. There's no absolutes any longer. That's what I think. That's just stupid. 
Let's be honest. Isn't that just stupid? Truth is truth. Either Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him, like he said in John 14, 6, or he's a liar. That's it. Do you believe him or not? Do you believe the word of God or not? If you don't, you're blind. And you're exactly where the enemy, where Satan wants you to be. He wants to kill you, destroy you, to rip you off. But Jesus has come to give life and life abundantly. That's why he came. John 10, 10 tells us that. But it's your choice. He's not going to force anybody because again, love is messy and love demands a choice. We are not Calvinistic in this church. We do not believe that God loves some and hates others. We believe, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, anyone, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it's because God is love that we have a choice, guys. God chose to love you, to die in your place, to take your sins upon himself, by dying on a cross, shedding his blood so you could be forgiven of your sins. That is a gift. But that gift needs to be received by faith. That's your part. And that's where the repenting comes in. That's where giving your allegiance to the good king, King Jesus, is needed. And that lordship, kingship thing is something we need to walk in, guys. This is where my heart grieves for the church today, especially here in America. We've just added Jesus to our lives. I don't see a genuine surrender in the church. Why isn't God moving? Why aren't people getting saved? Why is the church dying? Because I still want my thing. I still want to do my thing. I don't need to go to church, by the way. I have relationship with God. No, your Lord and Savior told you not to forsake the assembling together. What I'm talking about right now, a lot of Christians need to hear, but they're sitting at home in their bed sleeping in. Everything else can be a priority. But giving yourself to God, doing what he says, I don't feel like it. That's not how kingship works. He gets to call the shots. We're his. I don't know about you guys, but we're called to follow, to serve, to love him. He loved us. He gave all. How much should we give back to him? You get a little bit. I know you gave the creator of all things. You gave all of yourself. But I'm glad you're in my life. I'm glad I got some fire insurance. I don't have to go to hell one day because I put my faith in you. But you only get a little. No, you've been bought with a price, guys. You have been bought. You're not your own any longer. That's what the scriptures say. I want to encourage you guys. Get with the Lord. What does that look like? I wish the kingdom of God was preached more from the pulpits. When's the last time you guys heard a sermon preached on the kingdom of God? There's so many things coming from the pulpits today in America. It's all about us fixing our lives, having a good life, being blessed. Yeah, those things come when you're in Christ. But let me tell you what, guys. The theme of the Bible is about the kingdom of God. And we as a church, we get to advance that. The king's going to return one day. We don't know when. But he came on a mission and he left. And he sent us out with the same mission until he returns. And we get to go share the kingdom of God with this world, guys. Because let me tell you what, the world isn't sharing it. When's the last time you turned on, you know, the news? 
and heard them sharing the best news of all time, the gospel. No, what I hear is there is no God. Be tolerant of everything except for those Jesus people, those Christians. We'll be tolerant of everything except for Christians. That's what we're seeing in the world today, guys. So, the next point, which is good. (laughs) We need to see Jesus as our substitute. We need to grasp this, guys. Ask Jesus to place your sins in his paper shredder for you, and he (laughs) takes your place. I don't get it, but that's what 2 Corinthians 5 is all about, verse 21. It's a great great switcheroo there. (laughs) He became sin for us. He literally took our sin, took our place. We should be the ones upon that cross. But he took that for us so we could be forgiven. And we couldn't do it because we're not perfect. He was a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God who was able to take away the sins of the world. He had to do it. Man couldn't do it. That's what I love about the Bible. Some of you guys are starting to read for the first time through the Bible. And you're going to find that this is a history book. It's a history book of how man couldn't do it on their own. In their best efforts, they couldn't do it. They kept falling short. And that's why God had to come and thank God he loved us enough to do it that he had to come and do what no one could do throughout history. He was a perfect sacrifice. Check this out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He, God, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. When you come to Christ, you don't have to sin anymore. If you're an unbeliever, you have to sin. That's who you are. But Christ has forgiven us. We don't have to do that anymore. It's about holiness, guys. And when you come into a relationship with God, you want to please Him. And that's why we want to live righteous lives. We're still going to sin. The Bible talks about it. But let me tell you what, things change. Our thinking change, our priorities change, what we live for, our purpose is changed. And we want to bring honor and glory to God, and he sets us free. So at the pavement, love was messy. On the cross, love was messy. Today, when you try to love others in Jesus' name, guess what you're going to find, guys? Love is messy. Okay, God tells us to love our enemies, to pray for them. There are people that you weep over that you want to see get saved and you share with them and they just spit in your face. Relationships are broken, but you just keep loving. Love gets messy, guys, but that's okay. God did it. We can do it too. So I want to close with an illustration for us of faith. A thirsty man sees a water pump in the middle of the desert His water bottles are empty and he comes upon this pump and tied to it is this handwritten note put there by somebody before him and the note reads this. I've buried a bottle of water to prime the pump. Don't drink any of it. Pour in half of the wet or to wet the leather, wait, and then pour in the rest. Then pump. The well has never gone dry but the pump must be primed to bring the water up. When you are through drawing water, refill the bottle and bury it in the sand for the next traveler. Warning! You are going to be tempted to not believe this note and want to just consume the bottle. If you do, you'll soon be thirsty again. 
and so will be everyone else that follows you. So that's the choice that we all have, guys. We can empty it all on ourselves, but then we'll be empty again. Or we empty it into God's hands, and if we don't do so, he promises that he will give us living water that becomes in us a fountain springing up into everlasting life. Let's stand to our feet and close and pray together. I'm going to ask, and we don't hardly ever do this at Freedom Fellowship, but I want to ask if you this morning do see yourself as thirsty. You know that you need Jesus to save you. You haven't personally put your faith in him. I'd like you just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to repent. I want to believe today. I want to put my faith and my trust in him. Some of you guys need to do that. And if you're willing to do that, I want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. A few hands have gone up. Another thing I want to throw out there this morning, it takes faith to believe. Some of you have been wounded. And that wound is still with you because you haven't allowed God to heal. He's in the business of healing. He's in the business of making whole. A lot of us have scars. Some of us many battle scars. But they don't have to remain wounds, guys. There's healing there that God wants to do something. And I'd like you, if you've been in a place where you haven't been able to move on, that wound is still there. Maybe it's been a relationship. Maybe it's been something all the way back to your childhood that you just haven't been able to move on from and you want God to meet you in that, to bring healing in that, because it's not going to be something you can do. It's still there for a reason. You haven't figured it out. And that's where faith comes in and that's where God can show up and do some awesome healing. If you're in that place, I'd like you to raise your hand. and I'd like to pray for you guys in that way. If you have a wound, raise your hand. Yeah, A lot wounded. So let's pray for one another. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that we can come to a place together of like-minded believers and to pray for one another. We thank you for a place that we can come and open your word or that the truth of the gospel can be declared. Lord, I pray for those this morning, Father, who have chosen to put their faith in you. You see their hearts. You love them. You died for them. And you are able to forgive their sin. We thank you and we rejoice with the angels in heaven, Father, this morning with those who have put their faith in you, God. We pray for them that they would begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are, God. That is, they have put their faith in you and have entered into eternal life. God, that they would see that their spirit, Father, would cry out, Abba, that they would know that you are their father now, that they have a relationship with the living God.
and that you're never going to leave them or forsake them, God. We pray that you protect them, Lord, and watch over them. Bring believers into their lives that they may be discipled, that they would have a hunger and a thirst to dive into your word, to read these words uh, that you've given to us, that they can grow and know you more. And we pray this morning for those who have been wounded. Lord, we can't get through this life without, without trials, without pains, without wounds. But you are the, the healer, the great physician. Lord, and I thank you so much that you can meet us wherever we are, wherever we've been, even what we've done. God, there is forgiveness. Lord, and by your help, we can even forgive others. Would you please, Holy Spirit, just do that work in our hearts this morning. Help us to trust you, to trust your word, to trust that you are able, Father, to meet whatever wound there is and to bring healing. Thank you so much that you are so good, that you are so patient and loving with us. We thank you for your grace that is with us. Teach us to work with your grace because you got a whole lot of it, you were told in your word, grace upon grace. Lord, help us to walk in that and help us to encourage one another and pray for one another. I'd even ask, Lord, as a church family here, that you, by your spirit, would be prompting us to be praying for one another. Lord, just show us how we can be doing that, encouraging each other, Lord. The days are are dark, Father. A lot of people turning from you. But we know you're a big God and that you died upon that cross for a reason. Lord, you desire for none to perish. So we would ask humbly, Lord, for opportunities just to share the good news with others. That's the mission that you have us on. Lord, especially for those, Lord, who have put their faith in you recently. I know there's uh, many, God, just use their zeal, their excitement for you, Lord, to share with their friends and their family. Lord, thank you so much for this time together this morning. And again, thank you for your word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it is so good, Lord, that you have allowed us this time to look to you through your word. We just pray that we wouldn't be hearers of it only, but we would be doers of it for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.